This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your Sir Auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka The Blazing Blurred, and this is episode 191. I am doing a lot better. I'm still somewhat sick, but my voice has gotten a lot better. I still have something going on with my lungs and a weak cough and things, but I'm hoping to be past this soon because I, I finished my medication regimen. I just want to get through this, but I do still have shortness of breath and stuff, so I'm not going to keep you too long on this intro. I do have a couple announcements, though, before we get into my guest today. Uh, normally I go on a hiatus in December as part of my mental health hiatuses, the three that I take each year, uh, April, August, and December. But because I missed a week a while back because of my sickness, I still have this episode you're about to hear today and one other interview to share with y'all before I go on hiatus. So my next episode will be in December, first week of December, and then I will go on hiatus for the rest of the month until we come back after the new year. And as far as the important, the continued importance of the fundraiser and all that, that is still will be a priority. My goal during the month of December, though, is to uh, recover from my sickness. So I've been resting a lot, but it's not restful rest, it's sick rest. So I'd like to recover and get some actual rest in. And also I have just started my downsizing process uh, for my move out of the country in about 120 days. Uh, so a big part of the month of December will be what I'm referring to as my month of shedding. And I can kind of even extend that to 2022 being my year of shedding. A lot of things have changed for me over the last year. Things that I thought I was going to be doing, I pivoted in a different direction and have feelings about the pivot and have feelings about the change of plan for me, but I'm shedding those things that have been stressing me out or making me upset about that. I've shedded some friendships and relationships that have been in my life for a while that I've discovered were actually really toxic relationships or were no longer serving a healthy part of my life, I guess is the best way. Uh, and then literally shedding my stuff, you know, um, because I am moving out of the country I'm actively in a process of reducing the stuff that I have so that I can travel with a little bit more ease as I, as I leave the country. So this is going to be my, I guess 2022 is my year of shedding, but December is my month of shedding, getting rid of, of, of a lot of stuff to, um, to start my next chapter. <sighs> and it's draining. It's like emotionally exhausting and stuff like that. There's a lot of anxiety involved in it. 
which I'll get into on probably a later episode or an episode in, after the new year, talking about the process of what's going to happen as I leave the country. Uh, before I go, though, I know I did shout out the last Patreon sponsor that hit last week, but I'm still excited that we're getting so close to the $500 a month for Patreon sponsorship. We're still at 420 at this point. So if over the course of the next few weeks we get up to an additional $80 a month in Patreon sponsorship, we would be able to hit that $500 a month goal um, by the end of the year, and that would be amazing. Uh, so if you would like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mixed and sponsor the show as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish, and there are different reward levels depending what you choose. There is also the tip jar, which did we did get a drop in the tip jar this this last week. So shout out to Aaron for that. Uh, if you go to paypal.me slash mixed, you can do what I say, drop some coins in the tip jar. If there was an episode that touched you or you just want to support, but you don't want to commit to a monthly or annual sponsorship, uh, if you head on over to paypal.me, there's also a link to that in my link tree on Instagram. Um, that will help support the show in, uh, in, in a way to, to keep us going. Uh, and then of course there's still the t-shirts, militantlymix.com slash merch page. Uh, the be your mix has self t-shirt for this year is still up and I will leave that up through the end of the year. I think might as well. Um, uh, but if you want to get that order in before Christmas or the holiday period, uh, I think you only have another week or so until, so that they'll get there on time. If they, if you, if you want to get those orders in, in time for the holidays, uh, but other than that, I think I'm pretty much done. So let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Nicole. They are self-described as Asian American of Filipino and I guess Jamestown, Virginia, white colonizer heritage. I mean, ethnic heritage uh, in terms of cultural heritage. They are, uh, you know, mixed but grew up in the Virginia area and um, predominantly around white people. So a big part of what we talk about on this episode is uh, naming how we identify or how fluid that process is and how difficult it is sometimes to come to a term. But once you lock in on a term, it's a, it's kind of a validating force until you jump to the next term. As I've talked about on this show all the time, our mixed race identity is very fluid and what serves you now may not serve you a month from now, two years from now. Um, and so that, that importance of finding those ways of uh, self-validating and self-identifying yourself um, is, is a big part of kind of what we talked about today, in addition to the importance of finding community and believing that that community is a safe space for you to be in or that a space for you to belong in. And in this conversation, I caught myself doing something that I, I never thought of before, but I'm going to make an effort to change my language going forward. And that is the concept of taking up space. For the last few years, I've been using that term as long with the culture in general about taking up space or not being afraid to take up space. And it occurred to me during this conversation that I don't have to take up space that I own. As a mixed person, I own access to blackness, to Japanese-ness, to even white British heritage, to Americanness, even though I don't really have a concept of that for myself. But I, I own those spaces because I am a member of those spaces. And yet I feel like I've had to 
either fight to take up space in those areas or just actively force myself to, quote, take up space in those areas because I think I'm still believing I don't deserve full access and I don't want to believe that way anymore or I don't want that to be the underlying belief while the out, uh, outwardly belief is saying that I own this space, I, I can take up this space. So in this conversation, I'm still saying take up space but in hearing it back and, and actually something that I said while we were talking, I was like, not taking it up, owning. I already own this space. I'm already a member. So I'm saying this in the intro because I'm using it as a way of holding myself accountable to actively change my language to not claim that I'm taking up space because that implies I don't have access to it and actually use the term owning the spaces that I come from. And I think that's going to be a, a, a difficult thing for me to transition, but it's an active thing that I want to do. So I wanted to, to kind of declare that in the intro so that I actively start make, doing that work. And that way y'all can bust me on it. If you catch me saying it, um, you can slide into the DMS or send me an email and be like, aha, you said take up space. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to to make that declaration and uh, we will go ahead and get into today's episode. But before that, just know there's one more episode of Militantly Mixed before I go on hiatus that will air next week. And without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Nicole. My guest today is Nicole. Nicole, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and let's get into it. Yeah, uh, so my name is Nicole. Um, I use they, she pronouns, uh, and that's a lot to unpack. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I come, <laughs> uh, I'm coming from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, well, specifically Dorchester, Massachusetts, like I, I try to make that distinction as well. <laughs> I used to live in Bridgewater, but I always tell people Boston because I know nobody knows anything. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Because uh, every time I say Dorchester, people are like, so where's that? I'm like, so you know where like uh, Cambridge and Somerville are? And they're like, mm-hmm, yeah, I know. I used to live there or something. I'm like, yeah, I'm in the opposite direction. Opposite the one that side. like, the, the, the area no one wants to talk about because it's not pretty and, it's, and white. <laughs> it's, it's where the, the poor whites are. Right. Yeah. But yeah, Southeast was that. I think it's kind of got a weird transplant culture now. Um, oh, are they I, white? Are they white gentrifying the poor white neighborhood? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Interesting. I, <laughs> uh, every time I like drive through there just to like pick, uh, pick up like food or do errands or something, I just see a new building that goes up and it's always this like same kind of style uh metallic straw looking apartment buildings <laughs> like, this building is made out of straw but you painted it to look like aluminum or something that's funny <laughs> i'm like yeah look at these people in their straw houses ready to ready to move in <laughs> i'm so glad i left <laughs> just... 
I know for me, like Boston is a no go. Like never again if I can. Avoid I know. Yeah, I'm. Again. I'm really trying to like. I'm trying so hard to resist, you know, planting roots here in a mm. sense because I have such a complicated like phys- physical relationship, I guess, with it because it's not where I grew up. Mm. Um, I actually I grew up in uh, Richmond, Virginia, um, so. Uh, I came up here for for graduate school and, you know, got a full-time job and have it left. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, it's architecturally and historically a really interesting and fascinating place yeah. for me. Like I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to move, you know, also the, the educational environment uh, for, for the most part, I think is really, um, it's, more up my alley I guess mm-hmm. um just the the less privatized the education the happier yeah. I feel like in that environment yeah. um but like the people the people man it's so <laughs> weird I, I still say it like Boston like I, I live in the south now Boston is the most racist place I've ever lived and I've lived everywhere yeah. like I'm a military kid so we moved around a ton but when you segregate your white people, <laughs> there's no chance for the rest of us. Like it's oh. such a weird place. It's beautiful, right? And I know that's that guilt. It's like I love being in a in an environment where I can look around and love everything. Yeah, the architecture, the environment is like so. The food is good. Like it's so beautiful. So and then racist. <laughs> it's so racist, man. I had, uh, <laughs> in October, I had the very fortunate opportunity of going to Paris in France just for a week for like a writing type of getaway just for oh, myself. That's... So great. I like, I didn't realize just how much like tension I was holding in my body just in holding myself together in a sort of defensive, you know, mm. brick-like uh, mm-hmm. solid figure. You know, just being, I feel like living in Boston, I have learned that I need to stand firm in one place and just not move and let everyone else kind of take up space around me. Mm. Um, there's, there's a lot about, you know, how I discovered how much space I take up and how, you know, there's this fear that I am intruding too much or I'm encroaching too much on everyone else's space. Mm. I feel I've have felt that more so here in Boston than any other city I was, I've been able to visit. That's like London, Paris, Philly, and, and New York, um, and Richmond. Like, you know, I haven't seen the whole world, but in, a lot of the urban spaces that I have been to outside of Boston, it's, I, I felt more, more at home in my body. <laughs> mm. And then, it's then where you're currently living. Yeah. I mean, uh, moving out of Southie was really great and moving into Dorchester, which is a much more like varied cultural, um, town, honestly. It up against like Roxbury, like the black neighborhood, the poor Irish neighborhood, the mm-hmm. slightly less poor, but still middle class Irish. Like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff right there. 
Yeah, and there's there's so many like cultural enclaves within Dorchester mm-hmm. too. So like further north, you get a lot of Vietnamese restaurants, and yeah. then you just keep going down this one street, and everything changed. Like all of the food, all of the kinds of outlet stores or My convenience stores. My favorite little yarn change. shop was in Dorchester for a while. <laughs> When I used to knit, like I don't knit anymore because my hands hurt. But yeah, it was one of my favorite little yarn shops was was in Dorchester. Yeah, um, and I do feel a little bit more relaxed, and you know, um, I feel like I do take up a lot more space um, in this area. Um, And I say that like I kind of imagine this like bubble that's around me, but not in a sense that it's a protective shield. It's just it's um amorphous i think yeah like it's it's more of an amorphous space where it's permeable and you know i don't feel that rigidity to like close myself off to just existing mm-hmm. i don't know that's kind of like they're contradicting things where like everyone has this idea of existing as like you're here like that's that's what it should be right and when i think about existence that means existing fully in a space where I can socially interact Mm -hmm. in a way that's not always defending myself or um yeah defending like how I look or present myself to other people asking Um, permission to be there yeah right uh and I've you know I've felt that more openness about myself just moving a few miles down the road (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing that it can have that much of an impact yeah. Um, yeah, it's, a, like, it's an interesting space to be in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had mentioned, like, I'd gone to Paris. That was, like, the first time in a very long time where I'd left Boston just because it was, like, pando time. And I had just relaxed so freaking much. Like, <laughs> I had, like, not realized what it felt like to pass time on my own terms. And I'm oh, like, oh, yeah, that's because, like, you haven't taken a vacation in a long time. Mm. And, yes, that's also true. But um, and also, like, existing in a space that was just to serve me, mm. which sounds kind of weird. But, um, you know, I was there to make space for myself as a writer. I want while... that sentence to be, like, a regular-ass sentence that femmes and women and girls can say because so little space is provided for femmes and women and girls to to be like on my own terms I'm taking up this space or I'm taking this time for myself so I I hope it gets to a point that we can say something like that without being like apologetic or or even mm-hmm. just like oh I can't believe I said that like or I'm being <laughs> really you know I'm stepping out of pocket to say it like I I love that sentence I want that to be I want that to be how people feel more often yeah like I mean, as soon as I had said it, I felt this immediate gut reaction where I'm like, oh, I, I need to compensate. I saw it. What I, I saw it in your face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so there's. Yeah, like. I think I compensate more here than I had, you know, when I was in Paris. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, part of it's like just visiting an, a brand new place where you really don't know anyone and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I could do something really ridiculous and like no one will think much about that, you know, or mm-hmm. ever, you know, <laughs> um, unless I did something like really wild. Um, you know, I, I think with those, with that anxiety, that's 
that we talked about earlier. Uh, there's there's so much of it within me that you know, I don't know what it's like to be a person that that doesn't that doesn't experience that so constantly that it's unfamiliar when you're relaxed. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a real damn sentence right there. <laughs> like, like for, for real, as a person who suffers from depression, anxiety, and just generally being, I mean, even just being a mixed person and like not looking like something that makes sense in every space that I occupy, that's, mm-hmm. that's a real essence. Uh, one of the things we didn't mention at the top is um, what your heritage is. So I am Asian American. Uh, and I've gone back and forth with terms and how to identify myself for the longest time. And I think this morning, actually, as I was like, oh no, last night I was writing notes for this um, talk. And I was like, Philippine, I think I remember I had put Filipino American in the survey. Yes, you did. But, um, but now I'm like, no, that's, that doesn't feel quite right. Mm. I feel Asian American. And I think, I mean, there's a lot in that. Like there's a part of me that feels like I, again, shouldn't take up too much space and claim ownership of something that's very Mm. true within me. So generalizing as much as I can and like stepping back enough to where I feel comfortable existing in a, um, in a porous permeable space where especially the Asian American term uh, incorporates and includes so many people. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I feel the safest. <laughs> okay. No, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I also like yeah, to describe like, us as, um, as because we're not Asians in Asia, you know, and be, but, but, but we're born here, American, Asian Americans. Um, we have certain ties back to the home countries, but if we weren't if we weren't raised there and stuff like that, our identities as you know me a Japanese American, Filipino American, Filipina, um, that you might there's that weird detachment like you're there and not there. So a term like Asian American I think does help us mm. to that ex, you know to to the extent that it, it includes us as part of the story, but also denotes the slight separation that we might have not being mm. in, in those countries anymore, I think. Uh, also, identity is very fluid. And, you know, right now it might feel really comfortable to be there and it might be comfortable to be something else in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years, you know? Yeah, but yeah. I, I, there is safety, I think, in the term. I agree. I agree with you on that one. Mm. I mean, that's, I, I feel like I'm in a place right now and have been for at least a year or so where I don't, feel as compelled as I used to, to labeling myself and sticking with that label. And that, you know, that took years of talking to a therapist who understands uh, being mixed race because they're also mixed race. I think having a a mixed therapist. Yes. It's it's so rare. And like, the thing is I had um, for the, the intake call you know when they're like trying to figure out what it is that you want to talk about or um like what problems you have (laughs) um the the person who had done my intake call 
is my current therapist. Uh, it was just so wild that like, you know, the first conversation that I was able to have with someone um, and to be able to continue that is someone who also like, deeply understands uh, why I came to them in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really great. Do they have a similar mix as you or just a mixed person in general? Yeah, so they're um, they're also like mixed uh, with part Filipino. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, you know, that Ooh. specificity, I guess, yeah, uh, was really helpful, you know, because there were a lot of cultural things that I felt like at first I needed to explain. But when they identified, you know, um, when they self-identified to me in our introduction um, and mentioned that, you know, uh, they're part Filipino, I was like, okay, so <laughs> I can talk a bit more about things and the things that I grew up with and yeah. you also understand in a way it's there's, there's a weird, so like, uh, inherited language yeah. in culture. The, the not having to take 15 minutes to explain the context of a situation just so that you can talk about the problem. Right. Yeah. And that's so helpful. Yeah. That's, I like, I'm, I'm always, not always, that sounds like a, I'm persistently thinking about this, but uh, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, when I'm attending therapy sessions, I'm like how many other mixed race people have this opportunity and have this access right. to, to like talk to someone and not feel like you have to say, say something with three types of layers yeah. in order to get to that, that deep one, um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, I just, there's, there are times when I'm like, I wish there are more mixed therapists out there. Yeah, I, I've spent most of my life in therapy as early as 12, and I've always had white therapists for the most part until this most recent uh, therapist that I've had. And I mean, the old, I only had one that actually like made an effort to try to understand, but it would be, you know, 45 minutes of my session explaining something. From mm. cultural side and then 15 minutes of 10 to 15 minutes actually being able to talk about it and then the next week she would have done some research so that by the time we come again she's like okay well last time we talked about blah 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 and I did a little bit of research and oh. I'm like yeah but I've already moved on from that because <laughs> I took so much time explaining it to you I just dealt with my own shit now I got this other problem so I gotta oh, teach God, you this yeah. too so it's like me basically paying somebody else to teach them how to identify issues with mixed people and never get my shit resolved. <laughs> it was so fucking frustrating. And she was nice. Like she was like one of the few that I really liked too. But it was so frustrating to have to go through that. Where now I have a, a black queer woman a therapist. And to and there's times when she doesn't even have to talk. She just has to hit me with a mm. And I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Like either like it's that cultural <laughs> context stuff that like we have that we didn't we don't have to spend a whole lot of time educating each other on, and the only time I really have to educate her is on some of the Asian stuff and right. and but but it's again it's a lot smaller of a because she's already a brown person already a marginalized person she's getting those things a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. Ah man, it's so good. But I'm glad that you have somebody that's actually has some kind of cultural crossover too because. Um, you know, not having to explain something about an auntie is a, 
to a white person, you know, it's like so much easier. It's just so much easier. <laughs> Do you feel like you get through identifying certain things about yourself a little bit quicker because you do have a therapist that comes from a similar understanding? Yeah. Uh, it, it did take, you know, um, so I moved up to Boston in 2018. Yeah. It took me about two years out of the three years or so that I had lived here. It's where I felt really comfortable, um, you know, knowing the ambiguity that I, um, that, that makes up who I am. And I used to be a very like hard and fast um, binary oriented person mm. where I was like, I, I need to fully act, like fully be Filipino or I need to fully be white. Um, I, well, yeah. So that's another part of my identity is like, um, I'm literally half and half. My mom is Filipino and my dad's a white man from upstate New York. <laughs> Does he know what his white is? Um, we've, I, I did like the, the ancestry DNA test type thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I found out that we're like Jamestown colonizers, basically. Because oh, wow. so, <laughs> there's these two extremes that, right, yeah. that exist within myself. I have the, you know, I come from a generation of, yeah, like, there's that inheritance of colonization on one side of that, that makes up a part of me. And the other side is dealing with colonization as the oppressed. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the full genetic background on my mom's side um, due to a lot of systemic reasons, but um, the, like, I know there's a part of her that is Spanish um, and, you know, I wonder if there is a part of her that has that like indigenous Filipino heritage. Uh, but I, there's no way for me to know that right. um, unless, you know, there's some really incredible scientific or anthropological discovery. And Yeah. That's the problem with a lot yeah. of these ancestry and 23andMe's is that they, they record so many markers for the different white ethnic groups and stuff like that, that can compare it in comparison. They have such small, uh, markers for the other groups that like you just don't know like I mean on the African side there is African ancestry which is a totally different company and they have markers mm -hmm. for the continent so you can actually figure out what kind of African you are but Asian Asians don't seem to have that equivalent yet and probably less of an interest because like for my Japanese grandma to find out we're possibly Korean would probably really mm -hmm. send her <laughs> to yeah whole thing um you know and i think uh you know i think a lot of asia probably would feel that same way when they if they realized how blended asians were oh mm. my gosh it would cause so many problems well i feel like <laughs> in a, i mean i i do completely understand uh but there's also i don't know if you've heard this already from either like past guests or just um from other conversations with filipinos but uh like we're often seen as like the Latinos of Asia. Yeah. And um, there, there's also this, you know, the, pol the poly Polynesian, mm -hmm. the Polynesian, you know, uh, part of that Filipino identity, you know, there, that's, they were voyagers that yeah. came to the islands. Um, so there's already this um, inherent um, 
genealogy of diaspora. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like in a way I'm already, I'm totally okay with knowing that. <laughs> I mean, for Filipinos, it could probably be really helpful because like there's the, the African influence, there's the other parts of Asian influence, there's the Spanish colonizers, there's American imperialism. Like there's been so many layers on top of people, not to mention that there was hundreds of, I think, I forget what somebody told me on the show, like 500 and something indigenous Filipino tribes that, Right. Potentially oh, yeah. at some point that you're not even accounting for before people start showing up on boats, you know, like mm -hmm. you have no idea really how many layers of, of cultures that you could be coming from. I think for Filipinos, it could possibly be very freeing. I think for East Asians, it would be a struggle for them only because mm -hmm. there's so much like. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mono. Ethnicity is important, it seems, as part of the mm -hmm. monocultural aspects of it. And yet you have people like China who went everywhere, and there's literal countries that are ethnic Chinese, but they're different people, you know, like Taiwan mm -hmm. and Thailand. Like, there's so many people that are ethnic Chinese, but culturally Taiwanese or something like that because of Chinese imperialism. Like, there's so much that happens in Asia. It would be nice to kind of understand... I would love to know that we are more closely related than we think we are. Um, it would make that's, us a lot easier on the I know, right? That's, I mean, <laughs> at the heart of it, it's like that could solve the problems of humanity. I, mean, I think on a very hope? large scale. <laughs> like for me, one of the biggest reasons why I didn't identify as Asian for so long is, um, you know, versus me saying I'm mixed Japanese or something is that in attempting to enter Asian spaces as a teenager, like, you know, Asian um, student organizations, whatever, mm. was that it wasn't just that I was a mixed person, which is what I thought it was. I thought it had more to do with me being mixed. It was that I was Japanese specifically and not understanding the history of the atrocities Japan had committed across Asia, right? And so mm. with most of these Asian organizations being predominantly Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Vietnamese, these are people that the Japanese did horrible things to. And therefore me rolling up, just being like, hi, fellow Asian here, <laughs> Japanese, not understanding my history, not understanding what they were raised with in terms of how they feel about Japanese people. I felt excluded. I honestly thought it was because I was mixed with black. I didn't realize how much was also just an anti-Japanese mentality, which would make sense given the people that they're raised by, you know, their grandparents and stuff like that. And in, as I got older and I would start to catch little moments of my grandmother's racism towards Koreans that I didn't mm. really pick up on until like I had a crush on a half a Korean boy and my grandma was like, absolutely not. And I was like, but he's so cute and he kicks high. He was, <laughs> he was a cry. He was my brother's karate instructor. Like he kicked really high and stuff like that. And my grandma was like, absolutely not. You know? Um, and then she started talking about bad things about Koreans. And and then one day, I just remember in a conversation with somebody, I said something in passing of just like, well, you understand, like, Koreans are blah, 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 blah. And then going, oh, nope, that's not mine. That's not my racism. I don't think that, you know, like, it just occurred to me that, like, my grandma's thing got in there in oh. such a passive way that I just said it just absentee. But immediately, like, as soon as it left my mouth, it felt wrong. And I was like, I don't think that way about Korean, like, why, why did I even say <laughs> why that? Why was this here? Yeah. You know, and then it, but then you start to think, oh shit, my grandma's been talking negatively about Koreans my whole life. And I, I wasn't paying attention to it, but I was internalizing it. And, uh -huh. you know, once you start to deconstruct that kind of stuff and you kind of get away from it, you're like, oh, okay. 
So it's taken so many years for me to be able to even identify as Asian American. And now I find a comfort in the term that I didn't used to find before. Mm. But that's because I've done more research now. You know, I understand a little bit more about what Japan did across Asia and how like my literal ancestors would be a part of that. And so needing to understand that complication of being colonizer and colonized. I mean, I'm British, like literal British, like my grandma's from England. I'm mm. Japanese. My grandma's from Japan. I'm literally made of people who have create, committed atrocities around the world. And then I'm also black, mm. you know, who's impacted by, by all of that. And uh, that allowing for fluidity, allowing for training to like learn this type of stuff, I think becomes a lot more helpful when it comes to when you like redefine your own identity. You mentioned like being very much living in the binary for a period of time because you, you were viewing yourself as like literally half white and half Filipino. Was it at all? Well, I guess you said Jamestown. So, I mean, that's already probably pretty jarring to find out like not only is that your white history is you didn't just come here, like they came here to colonize. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, there was a moment actually of of pride. And I think that's, that's largely because, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white environment. You know, my school district was very white and we learned about Jamestown because in proximity, you know, you're yeah, in Virginia, you're, Virginia you're, yeah. you're gonna learn about Jamestown. And um, I was like, oh, cool. Like that's, that's pretty sick. I, <laughs> I could go down there and see my my dead ancestors. Like you're more American than <laughs> some people who are walking around being like, you're not American, you know. Oh, oh God, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't even register it in that. I thought it was like it felt a bit more like celebrity. Like, I was like, mm. oh, I'm related to this like group of people that everyone continues to talk about. Mm. No, that makes <laughs> um, sense too. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess what with with the binary sense. I didn't really start to question things until I questioned my gender. And I think that was the catalyst for understanding fluidity within myself. Mm. So like I, because I had grown up in a predominantly white area, I, uh, you know, I um, internalized that, you know, um, I didn't really question that part of myself uh, and, you know, I, uh, yeah, and I didn't think about race and how that affected me in, in a sense of how other people are perceiving me or on paperwork, uh, until... Did people not make you feel like an other very often growing up, even though you were in a... No, not in a, yeah, like, not in a negative sense. I do know, I do remember, you know people in like my middle school, high school theater uh, groups. Um, they were the closest people that I had to like uh, friends and, you know, conversing with people on a regular basis about things that's not just about homework. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, I do remember some of the people that were closest to me were like, oh, look, it's the Asian persuasion. And that yeah, was the... <laughs> And I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's a nickname. I'm part of a friend group. And, uh, but I was like one of the only 
Asians in a sense, like uh, there were two other people, I think in my grade who were Asian American um, and were more visibly presenting as Asian American, like more like um, Eastern Asian. Um, do you view, have you been treated or do you view yourself as more ambiguous in your presentation? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I, I feel like I look like a white person just because of so you much. You do. Like <laughs> always baffles me. Like literally four years in, this continues to baffle me about Asian white mixes who are in sort of an ambiguity in your presentation. You all view yourself as looking more white. And oh, I do not view you that way. Like it it is so bizarre how much similarity there is across white Asians in America. That's, I mean, I see the thing is I've never met another white Asian. So like Are you serious? You've never? Yeah. No, like a lot of the mixed race folks that I've met are, you know, they they're more brown and there's okay so much more to their like mixed background like they have um, like me like you know, a several black, white Asian yeah like like three or four different races mm. and um you know there's there's a lot of you know acceptance and ambiguity within a lot of those people that I've talked mm. to and, and met but yeah I've never met someone who is as strictly binary <laughs> gosh i know so many of you and it's not just because of the show like literally i think it's because of being a military kid which is why oh, okay. i always do make that jump you know i said earlier like i always make the mistake of assuming mixed white asians are because of the military and <laughs> um and it's because i grew up around y'all you know like as a military kid all of us were pretty mixed and stuff um but of the of the white of the Asians, they were always white, almost always white. I, I knew only huh. a few black Asians like myself. And in my case, like both of my parents are mixed. So like my mom's Japanese and Appalachian white and Western Virginian Appalachian. And my dad is black and white British. And, um, and so like my, like I, my mom is like you, right? Like a half white, half Asian person. And I view her like I see a kind of white person with Asian eyes with my mom and her sisters look like a different kind of white Asian too. But like outside of my own family, all the mixed white Asians that I meet on the show or otherwise end up saying, you know, because I look white, so blah, blah, blah. And I'm going over <laughs> here like, hello, Asian person. What are you talking about? Like, oh why do God. you think you look white? It's so funny. You know, oh, gosh. I need to, this is something I need to tackle it. I need to tackle this so much because it comes up so often. Like what's, what is going on with my eyes that I always see <laughs> like, oh yeah, they're probably mixed white, but that's an Asian person versus your own body looking at your own face in the mirror, seeing a mostly white person. Mm. Cause you've got the dark hair. Like, I mean, so I would honestly think you were more of a mixed east asian and white person than necessarily a filipino because you are pretty fair but you still look hella asian to me dude <laughs> <laughs> well like uh, i mean so my partner is is a cis white man and i think one of the questions that i had asked him like towards the beginning of our relationship was like how asian do i look to you <laughs> I mean, it's probably an important question. <laughs> like, I, I kind of want to know in the sense of, like, a fetish, but also, sure, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, 
I I'm having an identity crisis and you're going to share this experience with me. <laughs> uh, but he's like, no, you don't look white. And I'm like, okay, I don't believe you because you're also, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Like, okay. So how white does tell he me. look? Oh, he's, he's like straight up white. Like blonde like, hair, blue eyed, Nazi poster oh, child? Or? No, not a Nazi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are we talking? Yeah, brown hair, blue eyes. Okay. Really pale skin. <laughs> and, you know, it's just so weird because I want validation from, from white people that I don't look white, but I also don't believe them at the same time. You that know? is interesting. Uh, and also like, there's another part of me that's like, why am I depending so much on a white person to tell me what I look like? And so then I tried to figure, I, I, I completely flipped. So I was like, what if I, you know, talk to more Asian American people and ask them what they look, what I look like. And that started this whole journey really of me finding an Asian American community that mm. I felt comfortable being in. Mm. And because prior to that, you know, it was always like the Filipino group outside of church, you know, um, and I didn't really get along with any of the kids that were there because mm. both of their parents, both of these children's parents were all Filipino. And oh. <laughs> um, so I always felt like on the outside of that group growing up um, and were most of your friends like friends of choice? Were they mostly white then? Yeah, up? yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's that's because like that's that's who was the, that was the demographic, yeah, <laughs> of the the area that I was in, and so with like finding a an Asian American community, I didn't really see myself needing that community until uh, after I graduated from college mm -hmm. and realized that you know a lot of the people from my undergraduate program were very white and I'm start I was also coming into a phase of my life where I wanted to learn so much more about my family and in the sense of the history of of yeah what makes me who I am mm -hmm. and I don't know like what it is about the 20s but <laughs> being in your 20s makes you want to question like everything and everyone that's come before you well and... i think it has a lot to do with like people literally make you feel like by your 20s you're supposed to have it all uh, ironed yeah, out okay. like you're supposed to know who you are when like you're baby adults you're not real adults yet right like you haven't been out in the world and long enough and a lot of that early part of your 20s you're in school anyway so you're like half mm -hmm. in half out of your adulthood how do you have time to figure out who you are while you're also trying to learn what you're gonna be you know like what you're gonna do for yeah me? Yeah. It's too tough. I think it's not until your 30s that you really start to settle, I think, into your identity a little harder. But that is such a weird time. You're like, who, mm. yeah, who the fuck am I? Am I yeah. my ancestry? Am I my culture? Am I the place I grew up? Am I this job that I've chosen I'm going to be in? You know, like, there's so much. Mm. And then forget about, like, once you start, act, like, actually accessing your gender. For, the, for those of us um, in a similar boat, like, for me... I um, I describe myself as having a bi-gender identity because the 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 binary is very important to the way I identify. I identify very masculine and feminine, um, just femme-bodied. Uh, whereas a lot of my non-binary friends, they don't feel 
they literally feel non-binary. They don't feel masculine or feminine. They're just something different um, mm. from me. And and then there's the people that are just like, I don't know. I don't think I got anything going on. You know, like I have a couple of agender friends too that feel like they don't have anything going on. You're doing that and you're trying to figure out your mixed shit and you're trying to figure out who you're going to be as when you grow up. You know, like, like <laughs> quotation figures when you grow up. Are you kidding me? Like, no, your 20s. You just got, that's the time to do it. That's not the time to figure, that's not the time mm -hmm. to know it. That's the time to figure it out. Like to be mm -hmm. trying things on like different coats and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I, I don't think I started like absorbing, you know, art that is by Asian American artists or by, you know, writers of color or artists of color really until, mm. you know, after college. And I think it was, God damn, I, I hate that I have to say that this guy was the person that that helped me realize that it was it was Juno Diaz's writing. <laughs> and I mean, I say that now be, knowing that he's a problematic person, but I also understand that his writing at the time really helped me get out of this, you know, kind of back and forth um, spiral of settling on on one thing about myself mm. and i don't know if you've ever heard this or experienced it but it's like someone gives you that one text by a person of color and it's like the the key to like this gate <laughs> yeah. it's like the heavenly angels is singing and i'm like yeah. this is i i didn't know how much i needed writing by people that didn't look um like a white person it's like uncomfortable yeah. at first because you start to think like why didn't i already know to look for this and right and stuff like that yeah it's yeah like, it's and a weird that, moment it, it does i think start with you know how we are uh, like what what we are taught you know like what we are taught to read and to talk about uh, and in my particular neighborhood and school that the whole demographic was very white so you know people who don't look outside of that that lens you're you're not gonna you know teach your children yeah. <laughs> you know about different perspectives just because you see what's around you and it's very homogenous uh, and that that was kind of baked into my education growing up and now I'm just like complete 180 where I'm <laughs> because I didn't have that stuff growing up um, I didn't have that access I didn't have that one person to you know, pass something down to me, really. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it, I want to pass that down, <laughs> you know, did like you, I want to pay it forward. So did you not talk about the fact that your parents were from different cultures or countries even um, growing up? We, we did that. Yeah. See, the thing is, I look back and I'm like, we did all of those things where we had conversations. Uh, I did ask some questions about like, what am I supposed to circle on this demographic form? <laughs> That's a big question. For but, <laughs> but the thing is, like, I don't think it felt very surface level. Like, we were talking about it. I'm like, okay, I know what I, I know what answer. Or I know how to answer when somebody asks me a question about this. But it didn't sink any further I into really understand. Yeah. And mm -hmm. For the, I mean, I still think to this day, I'm like, why do I feel this way about uh, learning about this growing up? And I have no idea. <laughs> Is it still kind of itchy, I guess, like to, to 
It's yeah, there's like a, I mean, there's a moment I'm like, I'll take a step back every so often and think like, you know, how did that happen? I, we, we did all of the things. (laughs) It's like, I thought we, you know, uh, actually like had these conversations, but they didn't, they didn't amount to the kind of reckoning, (laughs) reckoning that I was looking for or was expecting, I guess. So with you sort of growing up mostly around white folks, but you did at least address some aspects of being multicultural, at least growing up. And then you find yourself seeking more racial identifiable, like identifiable race uh, validation from white people. Are there moments that you have from, say, a non-related Filipino that accidentally validates you and you're just like, oh, shit. Like validate me as 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 a Filipino. Oh, okay. Or or Um, as a mixed Filipino either. For the longest time, I I didn't I didn't um, perceive that. You know, if someone did, I didn't pick up on it. So I think for the I I guess a simple answer to your question is no. Um, But um, I think when I became more involved in like diaspora Asian American communities and you know, something, uh, groups that are more openly identified as Asian American, mm-hmm. like the more, uh, the more variety of people there were in those communities, the more I felt like I was seen. Like I, I remember, um, this is like this really incredible community called Kundiman for like Asian American writers. And for the longest time I had put off applying to them because I was like, mm, I'm white. I'm not a person of color. I can't do that. You know, that's, mm. that's invading someone else's space. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I eventually had gotten to a point in my like creative writing graduate program where I felt really starved of the kinds of feedback that I was looking for that was not just about craft, but about... <laughs> these other themes that I was trying to write through that were actually about my mm-hmm. racial identity. Mm. Um, and like, no one was addressing that in my work. And I wanted people, I wanted to be around people who could see that. Um, and the only way, you know, I've asked other writers of color at like book talks and stuff, like, what do you do when you're in this situation? They're like, I went to Kundiman. <laughs> oh <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Like, this is me. <laughs> um, and it's this really great um, writing retreat program um, and collective, really, that you know gets people connected in the Asian American community. And when I went to this retreat, I was so worried about you know how people would judge me or look at me a certain way or be like, "This person shouldn't be here. Why? How did they get in?" It's like I, I you you were worried about that going in. Yes. Like every day, like leading up to this retreat and then the day of like, even a few days into it, just being like, I shouldn't be in this group. I'm going to sit by the wall. It is fine. Um, You were feeling like very white is the problem you were having there. Yeah. And the thing is, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm so sorry. 
but like seriously that like i feel this way so often when i talk to mixed people it's just like but your face <laughs> <laughs> like i'm seeing a brown person i don't understand <laughs> i'm seeing an asian <laughs> i know that you're mixed but i'm like yeah i'm sorry i apologize well <laughs> but the thing is like i'm so wrapped up in this perception of myself yeah. that i don't give myself room to to listen to other people like when they're actually being honest and coming from a sincere place like literally like, that's like the whole mission like i didn't even know that that was going to be the mission of the show but everybody i talked to in the beginning that that lack of validate like that lack of internal validation was so loud that you couldn't hear a person to do something like what i just did like but your face is like <laughs> it just became a thing of like okay part of the mission of the show is not just to share these stories but to literally like smack people in the face with like you are obviously a mixed person you belong in all of these categories that you come from just like take up space like I want you to yeah. take up that space so bad I'm sorry to interrupt but like I hear it and I'm just like I cannot believe it I cannot believe that I'm still having that same conversation with people where I'm just like, I need you to just know that you exist in those spaces. You belong in those spaces. Mm. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. <laughs> like go taking that risk, what I saw as a risk um, uh, yeah. and immersing myself in a community like this, this Asian American writers retreat. Uh, you know, I learned that, how I learned that there were very different ways of being perceived by others. And it's not just like the worst case scenario that I picture in my head. And mm. I was, you know, approached by people who just talked to me like, you know, I was a person and not like yeah. immediately questioning. Uh, what are you doing here? Right. Yeah. Like that was my first concern. Like everyone is going to approach me and say, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, oh, and that was but, a real fear. Like your anxiety was telling you that that was what people were thinking while they were talking. Right. Yeah. And the thing is like, that's still that feeling within me. It still happens sometimes, but it's, I think ever since I attended that retreat and just felt like I could exist in a space where I didn't have to uh, justify you know, being in a place uh, where I felt like I belonged. <laughs> uh, well, I'm um, so glad that you got to have that space. I, It, like, rips me in shreds to think that you're sitting there with that kind of anxiety, even as you're trying to participate in a space like uh -huh. that. Like, I'm sure a bunch of people feel that way. Um, it just rips me to shreds to think that you would have that feeling. But I'm so glad that you did get to feel like you could take that space. Or yeah. that you weren't taking it, that you belonged. Right, right. And the thing is, I have that like double speak when I'm looking back at this experience. Where sure, I'm like, yeah. you know, I mean, immediately after this retreat, I was like, this, this is the best I've ever felt about myself and myself mm -hmm. as a creator and as a human. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's this this sense of doubt that you know comes back, and looks back at those memories and I guess like questioning the validity of oh, of that experience oh you're killing me <laughs> I'm like just stop just you're stop you're gonna so have to text me every time you feel that way and I'll be like shut up your face you know 
Uh, it's, I, I mean, I keep trying to get to this point where, in this conversation, where uh, majority of the time, this is all just like every, all of this stuff is in my, happening in my head. And I am sitting there wasting time thinking about that. But mm -hmm. there's always someone from the outside who brings me out of that, the very isolating space mm -hmm. and is very accepting. Like everyone at that retreat was so accepting. <laughs> and I'm like, this is incredible. Like, yeah. I didn't know everyone could be nice <laughs> oh, no. about existing in a space and not having to you know, justify how you got here. Uh, it's, it's very refreshing. And I think so much so that I'm like, nah, that can't have happened. That didn't happen. Right. <laughs> oh, I, I get it. I definitely do. It's not, it's not like I don't also experience like those feelings of invalidation or I don't belong here. I, I, I still do. I'm way better at telling people not to feel that way than I am, of course, sometimes feeling that way. I mean, but sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes it does. I'm better at it now because I have a lot more practice now, especially doing a show like this. Mm. Me constantly telling other people to like take up that space or, or, or feel like you belong, you know, eventually that kind of seeps in and I have to start taking my own advice. Right. So like in, in your case, as you, as you have these moments of like, I felt super validated in this space. Oh, that couldn't have happened that way. I must've been misinterpreting, you know, like, if you can hear the person telling you that you belong as yourself, that would, I feel like, I feel like that would be like far more valuable than some outsider telling you that you belong in a space, right? Like, I think we seek out external validation and I do too. We seek out external validation so much because we don't trust ourselves to think we know, you know, like, mm -hmm. or that we're not just trying to fool ourselves for comfort. But I think like there's so much more power in being able to get yourself to a place where you don't need the ex ex external validation. For me, like I said, I have a lot of practice at it now because I do a show where I'm literally talking about this all the time. There is still a moment and it's the smallest shit too. Like the other day I was on, I was coming back home from a flight and the, the bus driver for the shuttle bus kept calling me little sis, which is something that black people call, you know, and I knew he wasn't telling because he didn't call anybody else that came on the bus, little sis, you know, he <laughs> called them miss ma'am, this, that, but he called me little sis the whole time. And it was just a small way of like saying, I see you. And it was very nice. And I love that. And I wrote, you know, like I said, I ride that wave all day long. That being said, I don't, I don't have to rely solely on that mm. external validation anymore. When there was a period right. of time, I needed it all the time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of my listeners, a lot of my guests probably are, are probably by the time they come to this show, they're probably still in that place. And I don't know, I don't know how else to, to tell people to start hearing it in their own voice, except for to just like, be like, I, this is what I saw. I don't know what you see, but this is what I saw. And hopefully you eventually um, will like take that in and hear yeah. yourself, you know, cause that's what I want for us. I want us to feel comfortable in our skin because I think, like the world teaches us like we're half, right? Well, you literally said it about yourself. <laughs> I'm half, I'm half this, mm -hmm. I'm half that. But like, think about a monoracial person. They don't think of themselves as half their mom and half their dad, right? Even if their parents look mm. the same race, right? They're not like, I'm half my mom, I half my dad. They're like, we're a family. Mm. I think in our case, because in some cases it's very obvious, like there's a brown and there's a white or there's a brown and there's a darker brown or something like that. 
for the mixed folks. That, that's why we think of ourselves in those half terms. But for me, I started telling myself I'm not less than, I'm more. I literally have more things than monoracial people have. Mm. Don't we covet more? Like, don't people like more usually? So <laughs> why am I thinking I'm less of a person, even though I'm more things than they are? Um, mm. And so, like, it's just changing. For me, it's just changing that internal talk in these little tiny right. ways. And over, you know, over a couple months, a couple of years, you just start to, that's the voice you end up using after that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if someone tried to convince me that um, less is more now, <laughs> right? <laughs> How boring your life must be. You're just one thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and that's well, what I like trying want. to, it's like trying to answer the question, like, oh, so what are your hobbies? And it's like, shit, I I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, how do I answer that question? Um, I, I actually am in the space where I'm like, what, what does that mean to me? Because yeah. I feel like so tethered to the work that I do for, you know, to pay the bill, like yeah. the work that pays me. Um, but there's also that part of myself that is like, you know, I won't feel fulfilled at the end of the day until I write something or until I read something Yeah. that's outside of, the work that I do. And to me, that feels like the realer part of you than mm -hmm. anything, right? Like, you're not going to be comfortable going to sleep if you don't do this thing that you decide on. That's mm -hmm. you right there. Um, yeah. And it's just like the allowing myself to, to look at that and be like, it's, it's a necessary part of you in order to get up the next day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also a part of me that's like, that's a lower tier thing. You don't need to do that in order to get by. You can still go to sleep and wake up tomorrow and, you know, continue to yeah. exist. But is it? <sighs> it's really you know, like telling that... that we do that to ourselves, right? That we like, yeah. I mean, we're so programmed by like this capitalist society that we're just like, no, you need to go to bed, so you go to work tomorrow, so you can pay the right. bills. <laughs> Where it's like, I have this thought, this scene, this chapter, this poem, this whatever, to get out. I needed to get out. Uh -huh. And the missed opportunity that you would have if you don't get that out. Um, I, think that, I think that would chip away at you. Like, it would just, it would just start to chip away at you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do feel that since, like, really deeply right now because... I'm at a point, you know, in my work, like trying to navigate my work life, work life balance where <laughs> um, it's like, do I even need to have a life? To <laughs> sounds so weird. Um, no, I get what you're saying though, because that's like we've literally been programmed to be like that, right? Yeah, and so much of my job is taking up more and more of my time in the day, and now that you know we're a couple of years into remote work at my job. And that's something that no one at this organization has never done before um, to this extent. Uh, everyone is, you know, silo doing their own things at home. And I've begun to really like dissociate from <laughs> so much of what I do in a day that, you know, by coming to this conversation I'm like, I have no personality. I don't know what to talk about. 
all I need to do is talk about work. And I, that's how the time passes by. <laughs> like, shit, man. Like, what have I done to myself? <laughs> no, I, you're, it's not uncommon, though. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, like, most people do kind of feel that way when they come to the show. They're just like, they're compelled. They want to do it. But they're uh-huh. just like, I mean, I hear the same things over and over again. I hear, like, <laughs> I'm not that interesting. You're not, my story's not as interesting as other people. Um, or I really just want to talk to you. And so that's why I came on because I think you're interesting. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, the, like this is probably going to be a really short episode because I'm pretty bored. Like literally, it's all like the same. <laughs> it's a theme. And I have it. I've been doing this like 200 plus interviews at this point And like a lot of people say the same things about themselves they have to put themselves lower or set a lower expectation for me I think because they don't I don't know you know like you just like you're just we're just trained this is the way our society is Mm. like you're less the other person is more I'm not fancy I'm just a regular ass person who was compelled to press record in the same way that like what you do you compelled to write other people are compelled to do things I just decided to focus on one topic so that like people got used to me as a personality, but like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the same shit that everybody else is struggling with, but people come to me and they're just like, I'm super boring. I just want to talk to you. Uh, so let's go ahead and do this. I'll do, I'll embarrass myself on your podcast so that like I have a chance to talk to you. It's the same shit. Like everybody feels the same thing. And I just like, if anything, doing this show has been a huge confidence booster for me because it's just been like, I have the same feelings that all these people who come and talk to me feel. And they're looking to me like I somehow know some shit. I ain't no shit. You know, (laughs) I don't. I'm just I'm just having a very similar conversation multiple times. And so I'm just a little bit more skilled at it at this Mm -hmm. point than I was four years ago. And four years from now, I'll be even better. Um, Or at least I hope so. But, um, you know, like I said, well, even that. I compelled to put myself down for a minute. I was like, I'll be better. Uh, I might, I might not be better. But I'm be better. <laughs> you know, like we're just compelled to do it, and it's just like I, w- I, I hope for us that we get out of that, and especially as mixed people and as uh, brown people, that we like, that we move through life with the same unearned confidence that a mediocre white person is like. You know, like they walk through the, the life. Like I want, I want that for us. I want us to be able to be mediocre and successful. At the same time. <laughs> oh, but, what a dream. <laughs> uh, but with all this like kind of back and forth uh, about like, you know, uh, getting to the place of, of getting more comfortable with different terms for yourself and stuff like that. Um, do you have something that you feel like you love most about being mixed? Um, I, I'm going to use that term that a lot of, a lot of mixed race people and people of color are probably tired of now. And that's, I have an intersectional perspective. <laughs> and, I mean, you do though. So it's like, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm really sorry to use this term, but there are so many points of view that I have learned that I, that I hold within myself. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, having that intersectional relationship with, with gender and with, race and um and culture um and you know other things like my socioeconomic status uh whether you know um i 
am a manual laborer or a white collar worker or something like, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways I can view the world with different lenses all at the same time and see something different each time and be okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's, that's a really great thing about being mixed <laughs> is that I have learned so much more about people just by embodying the very like approach to um, multiple ways of seeing. I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense, but <laughs> <It does. laughs> like, I wish this was a profound moment, but <laughs> like, you know, being in a writing community, like all uh, back in grad school, there's you know, writing workshops and the kinds of feedback that I appreciated the most were the ones that, you know, tackled two different things within the same question. Um, and that's kind of how I look at, you know, how I communicate and how I understand people. Like, it's not just one side of the story that you're absorbing when you perceive someone else. There's so much more to them. Um, and instead of just trying to find out this one thing, like, one thing that completely identifies someone I'm I'm actually like really inquis- like I'm I'm curious I I have ended up being more curious as a mixed person um you know I'm more open-minded than I thought I could ever be mm. <laughs> like I just always want to ask questions because I know that I will never have all of the answers and I'm just going to continue to keep asking questions I don't know <laughs> That's good. The way I think about things is with all of these paths that open up, they're never going to, you know, uh, lead me to the only answer. Yeah. And how boring would it be if we all had one path? Right. Yeah. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Well, thank you for joining me for this conversation. I appreciate it. I I know um, sometimes it's weird to like get into this a podcast thing and and not know the direction it's going to go but I had a really fun time talking to you and also thank you for like dealing with my weird cartoon sick voice I mean uh, I don't (laughs) hear a cartoon and that's I mean that's just my perspective (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, but yeah no it's been really really wonderful to you know communicate with someone and I, I say that like not talking at you about my experience, but also Mm. like hearing about someone else going through the same things or, you know, going through, you know, different things, but experiencing the same outcome. Mm. (laughs) um, You know, I I keep thinking like, I'll not really get the chance to interact with other mixed people because there's just not many of us when it's like, I don't know what there, there actually are a lot. They're all over. I I can point you in the direction of some. (laughs) It's just like, how come I can't find them? Yeah. You got to start um, a podcast and you just like, it's a trick. It's like, a, they'll come to, no, you. <laughs> they'll come to you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. 
If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.